As a believer in Christ, we're called to follow after Jesus and go and make disciples. Upon this, we're called to be fully devoted and true. But what does that look like in our everyday lives? And what does this mean for the church? This is a podcast dedicated to teaching and discussion surrounding the subject of discipleship. Hello, everyone. Good to be with you wherever this finds you. Today, joining us for our 11th podcast is Paul Arneberg. Paul, thanks for being with me, and uh, how are you doing? I'm just great, Nick. Thank you. It's uh, enjoying some forced downtime, and of course, it doesn't hurt that Minnesota summers are an awesome time of the year. Yeah, that, that that's for sure, and we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit about your downtime and why you have some, which is, is a good thing. Uh, but uh, let's start with this. You have a quite a long history, actually, of kind of mentorship, discipleship with students through a club that you founded and, and through different ministry experience over the years. Uh, let's talk about the club. Let's also talk about how that's been an opportunity uh, to to teach and, and, and to to student train and, and build leadership within the students that you coach. Uh, let's talk a bit about your background, just for the person who doesn't know you on the podcast. Uh, so where do you want to start, Paul? Well, I, I always like the sound of music. Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. So I'll tell you what, I was raised in a St. Paul suburb called Roseville, Minnesota, child of the 70s and 80s. And uh, I was one of 48 first cousins, the youngest of five children, in a very large extended Catholic family, uh, almost all based in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I mention that because it, it directly relates to two major aspects of my life. One is being around many, many people from different ages and in somewhat different backgrounds. Of course, Catholic St. Paul, it's a pretty specific demographic. But the fact that I was raised with such a large family clan gave me a love for extended community, extended families, of course, and also the Twin Cities. I've been a lifelong Twin Cities resident. And so from there, through various life circumstances, and I could go into a lot of those in detail, I will just say that through uh, big, big milestones, my mom died when I was 16 of leukemia after several years battling breast cancer and various blood cancers. And, um, and I was big into theater. So in high school, as the youngest of five, uh, I was suddenly in the junior year of high school, bereft of my mom, but then I had theater and a little bit of sports. I was a runner and I enjoyed dabbling in basketball and baseball, football. Uh, so when I got to college, my thought was, and this relates to Jugheads as we get to it in a second, uh, I, I thought, let me find a career that combines my love for performing theater and such and speaking with my love for people, which would be extended family and, and a lot of various friendships. And so I did go to college at the University of Minnesota to study radio. Uh, so I got a degree in, in speech communication. And along the way, I just thought, hey, I'll, I'll try something fun for a summer. My brother said I should try camp counseling. So I tried camp counseling for one summer at an exotic location uh, called Yosemite Sierra Summer Camp in the, mm. in the hills of, of the Sierra Nevada in California because we had some family connections there. And, uh, and so I had that one summer, and as I was leaving, my brother said for my 20th birthday, here, Paul, here's a, a set of juggling balls from Juggling for the Complete Clutz. And so, believe it or not, both my one summer of camp counseling and those three beanbags that were given to me in 1989 turned out to be the Lord's call. I thought I was going to go into radio. I thought I would be something like the next Steve Cannon or maybe a Christian version of Rush Limbaugh or, or some sort of a Christian talk show host. 
Well, the Lord took that one summer a, a little bit like a, a complete anomaly. And then by the time I graduated, when I auditioned for radio stations, including KTIS right here in the Twin Cities, uh, I didn't get any local job offers. And so I sought the Lord like never before in terms of my career direction. And meanwhile, I had this wonderful young woman named Wendy DeGroat that I was courting and I didn't feel led to propose marriage until I had a career direction. So fast forward even faster, I, uh, through a series of months of prayer and Wendy helping me to look, I found a job in a diner called the Wise Guys Supervisor, older childcare, specifically fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. Well, my college degree got my foot in the door, my one summer of camp counseling, and by the way, a six-month internship at WCC Radio wow. gave me some supervising experience and some leadership experience got the job, and then through that wise guys after school and summer childcare program, I started teaching uh, older childcare children how to juggle. That became a group of 50, which then I eventually spun off. We renamed ourselves the Jugheads Youth Juggling Company. The 50 kids grew to an average of 120 a year, and I've been doing it full-time now for going on 23 years. And uh, it's, it's our, our main source of, of income as well as our vocational ministry. That's awesome, Paul. I, I, I appreciate you sharing that because I haven't even heard all those details. <laughs> and and uh, one, one question I have for you kind of along those lines too, though, is growing up in the St. Paul Catholic home, as, as we know, there's rich tradition on that side of the, the, the river uh, yes. with that church. Uh, you also, though, grew out of that into personal relationship with Jesus and a love for God's word. Can you just speak at least briefly to that? I would love to speak to that. I would say that in the Catholic Church, I was baptized. I was confirmed. I took it very seriously. I went to Catholic school, grades one through eight, St. Rose of Lima in Roseville. And I learned a love of God and a, uh, a reverence for God. And I would say even a very biblical phrase, a fear of the Lord. I, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's Romans 1, or excuse me, <laughs> Proverbs 1, 7, and I believe 9, 1, uh, twice in Proverbs at least, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And yet I was remiss in two major areas of the Christian faith uh, that I needed to have complete through my, my um, college years, through University Christian Fellowship, and two churches, Central Baptist Church in St. Paul, and also Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. And those two aspects of the Christian faith were a personal relationship with Jesus. And I believe I knew Jesus probably as early as ninth grade in my uh, my rearing years. But um, the other thing was salvation by grace through faith. And of course, that's the classic reform doctrine, uh, the five pillars. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, through the word of God alone, for the glory of God alone. Yeah. That was all relatively foreign to me. So I had a fear of the Lord. I also, I believe the Catholic Church taught me a lot about personal morality and conduct and personal holiness, as it were. But of course, now I know that's all imputed upon me anyway through Christ's grace. So it was through intervarsity. In college, I learned how to study the word. In fact, the same brother of mine, Tom Arnerberg, my main mentor, him and his wife, Beth, gave me not only my first set of juggling balls, not only the advice to go to Christian camp counseling, but my first study Bible in 1988. That was 19 years old. And so through that, I really learned a love of God's word. And uh, in fact, believe it or not, this is really good for your podcast listeners to hear. For two years, I straddled a Catholic church and a Baptist church. I was going to a Catholic church on a worship team and a Baptist church in their youth 
uh, drama ministry. So specifically wow. Corpus Christi Catholic in Roseville, Central Baptist in St. Paul. And so that gradual, I, I would call it a definite departure. And I would say for sure, I'm a Protestant now, but I never had a, a big severance with the Catholic church. Other than the fact now I have a lot of doctrinal reasons why I can't go back, but I do have a great love for how I was raised specifically in St. Mm-hmm. Rose church and many of my Catholic relatives. But now I would say I am <laughs> the phrase I like to use now, Nick, I'm a born again, blood bought, Christ follower who is a Bible believer. And therefore, that is how I define everything I do. And regardless of denomination, that has to be the fundamentals. And that is how I live my life. Absolutely. Amen to that. Uh, Maybe speak a little bit too to how important it has been for you to be on campus at the U of M and, and have a group that was, I mean, that was ministering to you where you were, I mean, those are formidable years too. And, yes. and so here you are at the university of Minnesota and, uh, and God gets a hold of your heart. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, in addition, I, I mentioned I was uh, eight years in a Catholic grade and middle school, St. Rose, grades one through eight. I went to a public high school. That was Ramsey High School, which became a Roseville. The first graduating class of Roseville was me. That was 1987. And then the very secular University of Minnesota, one of the largest commuter campuses in the world, one of the most diverse commuter campuses in the world, about 45,000 students last time I checked. And then after that, or should I say during that concurrent with my senior year at the U of M, I was six months as an intern at WCC radio, the flagship station of the uh, CBS radio network here in the twin cities. And so those three areas, public high school, public college, public uh, radio internship really taught me about how to lovingly, but also um, convictionally interact with the world as it were. And so at the U specifically to your question, uh, I was taking all these secular classes, but I was also learning and immersing in God's word through university. And again, I mentioned those other two churches, Central Baptist and Bethlehem Baptist. And so I remember very distinctly, and I could mention names of professors who were pretty antagonistic when I wanted to speak about things like saving sexual activity until marriage and uh, why I believe the earth was created uh, and in my view, recently, I, I'm a young earth creationist, and I try to argue that and pretty got shot down pretty quickly in college. And yet I still kept plugging on, whether it was personal moral issues, whether it was doctrinal issues, whether it was even the exclusivity of the gospel, which right now is being attacked, because I believe there's a slippery slope of liberalism, theological liberalism, which can happen in any area if we're not vigilant with God's word and that he is the one who gives us our dictates for our lives and also lovingly tells us what his design is. So that taught me, I believe, a lot of diplomacy, I hope. I know I come across to anybody that meets me, especially if they're under my authority as the Jughead's director. I come across as having a very strong personality, very convictional. I can be uh, seen as being harsh, but that's not my intention. I, if you want me to share my convictions, I'll share my convictions, sure. but please, I will do it as much as I can in a way that's hopefully winsome rather than beating you over the head or forcing you to agree. One of my favorite men's conferences speakers over the years is a guy named David McLaughlin from Wisconsin. And he says often, hey, we can we can um, get along even if we don't agree. Or Dennis Prager, who's actually a, a conservative Jewish commentator who is uh, not a believer in Christ, but he's a very, uh, a very wise man. He says, clarity is more important than agreement. So back to your question about U of M, uh, I did 
kind of back off from certain of my pet issues to talk about. I actually got a B in college talking about why I believe abstinence is the way to be for college students. And the, the Jesuit priest, who was my uh, TA at the time, gave me a B because he said, your message was not relevant to your audience. That made me wow. very indignant because I thought that was a travesty. Someone that claims at least a semblance of a Christian worldview. Right. Come on, give me a break. Can I just speak as a college student that I believe other college students can be abstinent? Now, again, I'm not going to beat that horse right now, but I do believe that's a major issue today as we see every day on the news something along the lines of sexual liberty versus religious liberty. Well, I believe God's commands say that his religious liberty leads to sexual liberty that is his design for marriage and for sexual expression. What, what an experience that would have been. And, and, and just like so many of us have experienced, you know, what do you say in situations and how do you speak? Uh, you know, it can be a challenge for so many, but that's an encouragement to me. That's an encouragement to our listener today. Uh, and it certainly uh, connects with uh, the scripture that we're, we're kind of referencing here. Uh, the, the podcasts are devotional in nature and, and we're focused on 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I, I believe probably a, a familiar verse to many of us, if not so glad you're listening. All scripture, it says, is breathed out by God. And what that means is it, it, it's from him. It, it's from his heart. This is this is where it exists. It's, it's God breathed. It's not, it's not just a part of who he is um, or, or not just whatever scriptures we want uh, to be uh, from him, but all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Um, boy, we, we've already gotten into it a bit, but let's talk first just a bit about what that means. What does this mean, this scripture passage? To me personally or in my ministry? or I, I think we're going to relate it to you personally and then into ministry here. Absolutely. Well, you know, I love that when you talked about, uh, while I'm reading it now as well, all scripture is breathed out by God, First Timothy 3, 16, 17. I love that breathed out, that same breathe is the same idea that the Lord breathed breath into Adam and became a human being in, in Genesis 1. And the Holy Spirit, uh, when Jesus rose from the dead, he breathed on the disciples, said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so it's the breath of God. It's the, it's the very life of God in us that when we are uh, indwelt by the Holy Spirit through Jesus and his blood and, and saving grace, we are able to live out God's word. And that's the wonderful message of the gospel. We don't have to muster up the will to be good. In fact, we can't be. All of our righteous deeds are filthy rags, according to scripture in Isaiah. We are instead, live, we're to live out God's spirit through his grace and his word. And, and I love those, those four words. The word of God is for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. That the whole idea of training, if we are moving in a Godward direction, it's like, again, the juggling analogy. We haven't talked much, much about jugheads yet, but juggling is step-by-step. Step. A very little beginner, whether it's a seven-year-old or, or an 80-year-old. I've had a student who was 80 at the time. And one step at a time, one ball, even the hand position, even the leg position, that's important. You train yourself, train, train, train. 
And that's why I love it when churches are able to train the littlest children in scripture memory or in scripture knowledge. And then eventually, like I just attended two confirmations for Emmaus a couple of weeks ago that were, of course, both physically distanced, one with masks at Emmaus and one in a home um, of an Emmaus family, both of whom we, we love very much. And uh, those young men had to be trained through two years of confirmation. But before that, it was 12 years of being reared in Christian homes. Well, of course, the gospel is you don't have to be trained for 12 years to be a believer. It could be one moment of, of saving faith. But after that saving faith moment, the Lord asks us to be trained. And the word of God is the main means by which we are to be trained in righteousness. Not that it's some sort of magical, mystical thing. You, you pour in the powder and it becomes righteousness. It's the Holy Spirit working in us. And, and, and like the clay, the analogy in the Old Testament, and also in Romans 9, we are the clay, God molding us. And it's through his word and his spirit, which are the really a two-factor. Scripture is breathe. Scripture breathe. And that's what I try to do every day. I've had very um, on and off over the years discipline with personal Bible reading. I went for some years in my 20s. Uh, again, that was right after my college graduation where I was still kind of learning the ideas of scripture and, and personal spiritual disciplines. I would go some years, I'd immerse and read it in a year. Other years, I'd go weeks without reading it. Well, now I read the Bible every day as important as eating, as important as exercise as important as anything else I do, because when I don't read it, I'm so much more susceptible to right. irritability and doubt and anger and depression. When I am reading it, well, at least all those earthly problems are put in context of God working his will in me to will and to work according to his good purpose and pleasure. That, that's awesome. So you have this company, this club, uh, and, and during the school year, in a sense, it's after school type of club, uh, yeah, but you have camps too. And you, here you have this opportunity to very intentionally invest in students' lives. And, and however you want to talk about that, I want you to, but you get these students for formidable years, uh, boys becoming young men, girls becoming young ladies, and you and your, your, your wife both intentionally with 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 a, a, a you know an intentionality in the way you've organized it I, I'm trying to say here um, you are able to mentor and 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 lead uh, how do you do it maybe speak to that a little bit Excellent. Well, again, I've done many talks uh, at various juggling festivals and, and things like that about the mechanics of jugheads itself. I could talk about the standards system. I could talk about how we teach them to juggle, how we direct shows and do choreography. I'll leave all that aside. And I'll just say all of the ways that over not just 23 years of full-time, but 28 years of full-time youth work, remember the, the first five or six years were building up to my full-time entrepreneurial technical youth ministry called Jugheads. Uh, all that is a structure that lends itself toward credibility to reach kids relationally and also with some above and beyond things. So what I do, basically, I believe in quantity of time. I, I like one of the adages that love is spelled T-I-M-E. And so whether it's after school, our design is the kids, especially the homeschoolers, can get there as early as 3 o'clock, and they can stay as late as 6.30. So even like your son, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention names, Absolutely. but uh, – your, your youngest son, Elling, uh, he is now going to be a sixth-year jughead. He started in second grade, along with several other Emmaus kids, which is awesome. Uh, I get to have him, even if he comes, like, say, 3.30 or 4 o'clock. Well, I get him for two and a half or three hours a week, 
and and not just him and me, but it's also the peer relationships he gets. And again, back to the pluralistic idea, you don't have to be a Christian to be in Jugheads. I happen to attract a lot of Christian families, both because they trust me. They also see the reputation. They also think juggling is cool, but it's not a litmus test. I do, though, however, try to reach every child in as much as I can. Not only the grace afforded to me, but the chemistry I have with that child or that my coaching staff has with that child or my student leadership team, team has with that child. I try to reach him or her with a, a connection that directs him or her Christward. And I know that sounds lofty and grandiose, but it, it has to be my ultimate goal, even if it's something as simple as the atmosphere. If a child who has nothing to do with the church or has nothing to do with being raised in a Christian home, if they can come to Juggets and feel safe, feel affirmed, feel challenged, all those things without bullying, without bad language, without even, should I say, the political correctness that permeates every other part of our culture, yep. then wonderful. We can be an oasis in a desert of, of, of cluelessness and a desert of confusion and anger and all the other things we've seen, not only with our recent COVID, our current COVID crisis, but of course, the recent crises of uh, societal things that are going on right now. We want to be a, a place and it, it get back to our structure. How do I do it, Nick? Uh, well, it's through kind words. It's, it's, I love the love languages. I believe it's Gary Smalley, you know, so whether it's, whether it's the words of encouragement or the acts of service or sometimes gifts, of course. And then there's, uh, what are the other two? Um, I forgot what the other two are. I know mine are words of encouragement and oh, quantity, quality time is another thing. And I just wrote about that recently in one of my newsletters. I will say this though, before I forget, uh, two or three things I, I kind of invented over the years. Um, one, I shouldn't say I invented it. One thing I've always had a heart for it, with love spilling T-I-M-E, all my entire career, I've tried to go above and beyond the, the four walls of our programming. So you mentioned we have the after school clubs, we have we have day camps in the summer when they're not canceled. And uh, above and beyond that though, I, I went to, like I said, two of your confirmation services that had to be separate and distanced. That to me is a wonderful message to the kids. I am showing you love by attending your confirmation or attend your whatever else, your play, your musical. Now, I've gotten in trouble over the years only because that is a, a recipe for burnout when I have 93 kids and there might be a lot of invitations throughout the whole year. So it has to be strategic. So what I did about 15 years ago, I, I initiated a thing where I invited the kids to me without tuition, without any money exchanged hands. I started a boys Bible study at the time in the summer of 2005. It was only for high school boys that wanted to read the word of God with me. The very first book we studied over 10 Sundays in the summer of 2005 was Philippians. And then that turned into a school year boys Bible study, which is pretty much run with only a few breaks. And now I've done that for the past several years, about one or two Sundays a month. The most recent year, we studied a devotion walking with the Lord, and then we studied First and Second Thessalonians. Well, during the COVID lockdown, I started a girls Bible study. It was over Zoom. I only had two. I invited nine high school girls and all nine showed up on Zoom. And boy, that was such a really neat thing. Now, where did I get that? Was that just inviting them in a vacuum? No. 
every single time I meet any given Jughead, whether he or she is seven, like I said, or up to our upper age of 19, if they're an older senior, I will try to discern where are they at spiritually? Are they open to the things of the Lord? And frankly, I only invite people I know that would be open to that. And the answer, the question is why? Well, because I don't want to try to make people uncomfortable or make them feel like if by inviting them to a Bible study, I am somehow making that contingent on my acceptance of them as a regular uh, Jughead member. Well, then three years ago, Wendy and I took that concept of the boys' Bible study and the future girls' Bible study and started a juggling and Bible camp. And now, in about three weeks, we're going to have our third annual juggling Bible camp. It's actually like any other church camp. And guess where we're going to be? The Association Retreat Center. We did it <laughs> That's at, awesome. Yeah, at the, at the, the Ark. We'll be at the Ark. 33 Jugheads are going to be there. It's amazing. 33 kids that are just about 12. I have a couple of boys who are not quite 12 yet all the way to four recent graduates, one of whom is an Emmaus grad named Jacob Downs. And uh, how that structure works, very intentional. Yes, that is tuition-based because we have a lot of meals to pay for and I have staff to pay for as well. Uh, but I will speak at five evening chapels on the book of Colossians. We'll have morning Bible studies and then we will have juggling sessions before lunch and after lunch and free time. And these 33 kids with seven adults, most of whom are in the lives of these kids regularly, including Joyce Miller, who is another Emmaus member, we get to pour into their lives, combine their own love of the art and sport called juggling with what many of them have is a love of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and his word breathed out through the Holy Spirit. So, boy, what a wonderful combination. Take juggling and Bible and the existing relationships. That, to me, is the favorite thing I do all year is to pour into the kids that we've established many years of a relationship. And now we get to go deep with God's word and continue the juggling and expand the friendships and relationships. That's awesome, Paul. There's two aspects that I want to point out just to encourage our listeners today. The first is you're taking your, your, your talents and, and also your passions and you're using that to disciple. That's number one, mm -hmm. but then so, so critical. And that is time, 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 time. It, you can't be stretched everywhere. You can't no. do everything. No one is saying do it all, no. but time matters, especially to students. And there's just no way around it. If we're going to invest in their lives, they need quality time. And by the way, quality time usually means something that has depth, like the word of God. And, yes. and I just can't say it enough. And, and I see it in the culture of what you have at the club. I also see it in where you have invested in, in these young men and, and young ladies that I know personally and just how effective it is. And I, I just so appreciate that. Going back to the, to, to the young men, though, uh, there's something that I, I, I thought would be helpful to point out as we talk a little bit about what it is to, to nurture spiritual growth and, and how that's a linear process. And it's not so much a linear, excuse me, process as it is cyclical. There, there are up and, there's ups and downs, especially, especially teens. I'm raising two of them right now. Now. Yeah. Uh, but but here's what John Eldridge says about this young man, and, and he says this in his book, Wild at Heart. Every man carries a wound, and, and, and we know that to be true, right? I've never met, he says, a man without one. No matter how good your life may have seemed to you, you live in a broken world full of broken people. Then he goes on to say, every boy 
in his journey to become a man, takes an arrow in the center of his heart, in the place of his strength. Because the wound is rarely discussed and even more rarely healed, because that's kind of how guys are, every man carries a wound, and the wound is nearly always given by his father. Um, now, there's a lot of different aspects we could talk about related to that. But what I want to say is, as you are investing in other students uh, who have gone through difficult life trials, uh, here you have this opportunity through your passions to disciple something that, yeah, parents need help on. <laughs> um, pastors need help on. Communities need many to invest. Maybe speak to the quotes and, and, and the context there. Well, I'll start by saying one major, major part of my life story and testimony that I, that I left out because, of course, I could talk all day long. I was a speech major, remember? Uh, was that um, after, uh, by the way, I had a lifelong love of children. Since I was eight years old, I wanted to be a father. And so uh, I knew being raised Catholic, the order would be marriage, then children, okay? And so I met Wendy, and then we courted, we got engaged, we got married. And then 1993, we thought, okay, let's do the quote-unquote wait thing. We waited a couple of years, tried to have kids, couldn't happen, found out, well, I'm the infertile one, okay? And so here's the irony. I got called to youth work in 1992, full-time vocationally. Mm -hmm. I didn't find out till six years later, I'm the infertile one. And so here's the irony in God's economy. Paul Arneberg, who has had a lifelong love for children and desire to be a father, can't be a father. And yet, like our father of our country, George Washington, he had no biological children either. I love to take a cue off of George Washington. He, in a sense, fathered the country. Well, I am the father of Jugheads. I mean, by, by the definition of founding a company, I, in that sense, am the father. And also... I love the fact we have many children in Jugheads who are from direct widowed homes. In other words, their fathers have died. I had many other kids who are from broken homes where the fathers are divorced and I would argue at least uh, under-involved, if not AWOL involved. And, and again, I'm not casting direct judgment. I'm just saying that I know that fatherhood is hard enough to begin with, but when they die or when they are divorced and then they are hands off or, or at least underrepresented, that is a tragedy. And so when I got hired in 1992, I actually told my uh, boss at the time, Linda Sisson, one of my career mentors, that I believe every child outside of his or her family needs mentors. Well, and I knew in the back of my mind that they need men as well. And, and to address that idea about the wound being given to the father, they need men to show how men can be loving and firm and masculine and gentle, all these things without sacrificing masculinity. They can be strong in these children's lives without having to be a caricature like Rambo or Arnold Schwarzenegger. We are to be strong and yet uh, we are to be loving and, and guiding the children. I, I, get into, I really believe that there are differences between men and women, and I believe in a lot of those biblical doctrines. In fact, I, I could go into that too. It's one of my favorite topics in, in uh, Christianity and in the church is, is how men are called to be leaders. But I'll just say what I do is I try to encourage the boys, you can be well-rounded and not sacrifice your masculinity. By the same time, though, and I don't do this as as overtly because I don't have to deal with this issue as often. You don't have to 
um, worry if you are, let's say, an expressive young man or an artistic young man or, or even someone that's really sensitive young man and think, oh, my goodness, does that mean I'm not a man? And if you know what I mean, there's that subtext to say, ah, let, let's try to convince you that you might be, let's say, uh, attracted to the same sex. That doesn't have to be the case. And I believe we can love men and young boys into saying, no, 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 that is not the case. By the same token, if girls tend to be tomboyish or they tend to be uh, a little bit more directed toward competition or toward other things, that doesn't sacrifice femininity. But I do believe God has placed us with, with fundamental, um, should I say, tendencies toward certain ways of, of decorum, of behavior, and even of maximizing our views, or not our views as much as our behavior. My wife and I are a good example of that. I probably cry more than my wife, more than Wendy, okay? I am more talkative, more sensitive. I am the rare man who does share his wounds and does share his issues, but I don't, I have to be careful, I don't do it in a way that's a burden to others. I do know that it it offers others the opportunity to share as well, especially the children and the youth that I work with, because I believe that vulnerability begets more vulnerability. And if we who are in leadership positions, whether pastors, parents, or directors like myself or coaches, if we are able to be vulnerable and able to say our lives are not perfect and there but for the grace of God go I, and every day I cling to the Lord, I'm desperate for the Lord, help me, Lord. Well, that says to them when they're struggling with their secret sins or even their overt problems, hey, you know what? Cast that on the feet of Jesus because he cares for you. What is that? First Peter 5, 9. Uh, the Lord cares for you. I love also in Matthew when it says, Jesus says, um, take my yoke upon me and learn from me for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So we need to cast our cares on the Lord. And if I can say that to young men, especially because I happen to have two thirds of the jugheads are boys, but also I have a heart for girls. If Wendy and I were blessed with biological or even adopted children, we could have gone with all girls. So we happen to love girls. And if I can give the girls an example of a strong, loving, gentle, but masculine man in their life, whether they have a dad or not, one of the greatest compliments I ever have received, Nick, and I've heard it for at least two young ladies. They have really good fathers, but they still have called me a father figure. That is a dangerous phrase. I never try to impute upon anybody or on myself. But when I'll mention the first names of these two young ladies, one was Kellen, one was Gracie. And my thought to Wendy was, wait a minute, I know Kellen and Gracie, they both have really good dads. Why are they saying that? Well, back to your point with John Eldridge, we need as many good male role models as we can get in the church because men naturally are going to abdicate their roles. We need to step up and be like Joshua, be strong and courageous for God is with us. And we need to speak intentionally into these kids' lives because everyone else in the generation are vying for their attention, their affection, and in a sense, even their salvation. They think that sex will save. They think that money will save. They think that the world will save. But none of that saves. Only Jesus saves. Yeah. Not only yeah. in this life, but for the life to come. That's that's so well said. And, and it's, it's such an important aspect of this and, and goes into where I wanted to take this. And that is, uh, we all need discipleship. And, 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 and God wants to use the gifts that he has given us for purposes for his kingdom. Uh, we all need support. Uh, if, if you're listening, to this and you're like, well, I'm not a parent or I, I don't own you know, a juggling company, you know, whatever it is. Uh, we all need support. We all need discipleship. God wants us to be discipled and he wants us to be disciplers. Uh, he wants us helping and, and strengthening and solidifying the faith of others. He, he wants us giving hope 
for the future. Every young person needs hope in the future. In fact, uh, many studies today suggest that that is what's lacking in the youngest generation, that is hope for a future. Some of it is due to crisis that they're facing today and crisis that they have seen in the last couple of years. Some of it is just due to lack of leadership in their lives. And of course, lack of faith in Christ uh, is is all of it. Um, We need to be helping shape and equip the the next generation we need to help shape and equip those around us and our neighbor um the question is why is it so important for all of us to hear this in this day and age because our world is groaning uh, i love romans 8 all creation is groaning for the redemption for, for the redemption the redemption of our bodies the adoption of our souls and uh uh, I'll tell you what, every time we see anything on the news, even if it's merely political disagreement, let's say among our Congress on the federal or state level, and we see rioting in the streets, if we see economic struggles, if we see marriage struggles, if we see teen drama where they don't like each other because social media, which by the way, I, I don't have any social media. I think that's poison and that's why I can't have it. Uh, fine if teens have it, but I would caution them against addicting to it, to being addicted to it. Why we need hope? Because this world is not all there is. What does it say in Second, uh, uh, second, excuse me, Second Corinthians five, four, Second Corinthians four. What is seen is transient. What is unseen is eternal. The the real world is yet to come. One of my favorite authors is Randy Alcorn. He wrote a very large book called Heaven, and he goes into nitty gritty detail how on the new heavens and the new earth it will be a real place, and so. Teens need to know, okay, yes, there's hope for your immediate future if you, if you fear God and keep his commandments, as it says in, in, in Ecclesiastes 12. But then you have to think about the life to come. One of my other major parts of my testimony that relates to death is my own nephew, Andre, died when he was 15. But he died in the Lord. He was baptized a couple of years earlier. He was a witness to his peers. He died by a freak accident where he was jaywalking and his uh, and the person that ran him over was distracted. And so uh, we'll talk about, you know, what was the sovereignty of God in that? Well, at least he, he didn't die in sin. He died in saving faith. And he also died where we know where he is because of his lifestyle and also because of his, his testimony of his lips. So, teens don't have to wait until they're 80 to get their act together or even when they're 20 or when they're 30 don't wait until your milestones your high school graduation even your confirmation eighth graders don't wait to your confirmation your graduation your marriage your career or your deathbed experience right now we need to have hope that the lord can hold our hand as i just reread that again in one of my devotions yesterday or the day before i think it was uh psalm 73 and um and yet the ultimate hope is the, is the life to come. Yes, I'm concerned about how I'm going to make money if the business starts to tank further after COVID aftermath. And, and maybe families have less expendable income for my 10-maker youth ministry. I'm worried at age 51, will I have enough to retire on if I ever do retire? But on the other hand, I also have a hope Jesus could come for me any minute. He's yeah. either going to come through his glorious appearing or the rapture, depending on one's eschatology, or he'll come through my death. 
But either way, he's coming for me, and I want to be ready, whether I'm 51, like my mom was when she died, or 15, in verse numbers, like my nephew was when he died. Teens need to know, guys, this is not all there is. Don't be sucked into the lie that social media is your salvation or anything else, like I said before, the litany of lies. <clears throat> and, and by the way, um, on one of my two girls' Bible studies on Zoom, uh, we asked the girls, Hey, tell us, what is one of your life verses? Well, two of my nine girls cited uh, Jeremiah 20 and 11. The context, of course, was God talking to the Israelites uh, exiled up to Babylon. But they both cited that, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you hope and a future. And just today, in my devotion, before you emailed me about doing this podcast, I read Romans 5, that character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. So kids, back to second. Uh, Timothy 3, be in the word of God that will inform your hope so your life reflects the hope and you will not live in despair. And by the way, the suicide epidemic is only increasing because of the strife in our society right now, starting with COVID, then economics, then the riots and the racial strife and the other problems politically and culturally and morally. We need God's word. We need God's son. We need God's people. Yeah. When we impart the message that, that, that you just said, when we impart that to each other, when we impart that uh, to those who need it, which is, which is all of us, um, that, that's when we will start to see real healing. Absolutely. And, and, and when, of course, it's received in Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul, I want to give you the honor to close us in prayer, if you would be uh, you know, so inclined. And, uh, and then we're going to close this out. I'd love to have you on again sometime because I, I should almost call this part one because yeah. there's so much more that yeah. we could talk about in relation to all that we've been talking about today. But thanks for joining me today. You're very welcome, Nick. And I'll say one more word before I pray. I'll just say, uh, again, listeners, if you meet me in person, you're going to get the same thing. I might come across as opinionated and brash. I still guarded a lot of my comments because I don't want to be come across as banging people over the head with my views, whether it's about, uh, let's say, gender roles and such like that. I will just say this all is in a spirit of humility and a submission to Christ, not to my own opinion. And so please, if anything I said, or even what Nick said today, seems off, test it according to scripture. And with that, I will pray. Awesome. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. For, I, I thank you for the minor miracle that is a podcast to get your word out to many, many people, even if it's just a few or could be many. Uh, thank you for using technology for your gospel. I love it when it says in Isaiah that the Lord said, my word will not go out and come back void. May this podcast and the word cited, especially Nick's thesis verse today of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. May that bear fruit and multiply. We pray for the listeners wherever they are physically, wherever they are spiritually, wherever they are emotionally. This is a very difficult time. Even if people aren't glued to the news, it's hard to live in this groaning creation. Come soon, Lord Jesus, Maranatha for your church. And meanwhile, would you please inspire your church, breathe into your church, that we will win others to a saving walk with Christ and a stronger walk with Christ. I say this in humility because I'm not arrived yet. I am still daily seeking you. We pray all these things for the glory of God in the name of our Savior, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, amen.